Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. The sermon text is the epistle reading. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, PD comes out, of, comes out of the gate with quite the question, eh? A question that uh, perks up our ears, this question. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Are you picking up what Petey is putting down? Did you hear that? No evil can harm us if we're zealous for what is good. But, here's a huge beauty but. What is good? What is good? How would you answer that question, what is good? Now, I'm sure if I had my movable whiteboard up here, which would make us all very happy, no, I wouldn't. Uh, and uh, I put down all the many and various answers. There would probably be dozens of answers for what is good. It's easy for us to think that uh, the what is good question is up for grabs. That it's all based on my personal taste. So you have your flavor for what is good, and I have my flavor for what is good. But that is a recipe, dear friends, for being disappointed, deflated, defeated. See, dear friends, by answering the what is good question, however we darn well please, we just chisel into stone our own man-made commandments. We start adding to uh, the Lord's two tables, two tablets of the law, with uh, you know man-made commandments like, uh, "You shall have perfect vacations far and near. You shall have a successful career. You shall be uh, always of good cheer." You shall have your political party, your politicians, elected year after year after year. You shall clean up this blue sphere because our families, our careers, our nation, our world... Our environment is not the good that you know we imagined. These uh, man-made commandments uh, bite us in the butt. Yeah, they accuse us and convict us. Our conscious, our consciences condemn us. We don't feel so good. We feel quite crummy. We feel bad. Everything looks. Bad. Hopeless. We're not happy campers. We have this guilt that consumes us, but it is a guilt that is, well, misplaced. It's a misplaced guilt. 
It's a guilt for all the wrong reasons. It's a guilt from breaking our own man-made commandments. It's a guilt that our Lord never intended us to have because, well, he never commands, get this, problem-free vacations. Or happy all-the-time families. Or my political party, my politicians, getting in every single cycle. Or a boatload of cash and clout with a career. Or taking pollution down to zero. And yes, that was a Captain Planet reference. <laughs> For all you 80s babies. There we go. Okay. Taking pollution down to zero. Dear friends, instead of living by these man-made commandments, and you're just getting pummeled and punished by it, and letting even other people impose their man-made com commandments on us, punishing and pummeling us, leaving us with, with no hope, no savior, no future, let's listen to Jesus in our gospel reading. John 14, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Keep meaning a treasure, prize, hold near and dear in our hearts. What is good? Well, Jesus says, God's good commandments. And uh, you know them, don't you? You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Honor thy father and mother. Do not commit adultery. You shall not steal. But we know that we fall hellaciously short of the good. And that's actually surprisingly good. Because this gives us a good guilt. A holy, spirited, given guilt that preps our hearts and minds to hear the gospelly good news of Jesus who is so, so good to you and to me. What is good? Good is not an opinion, but a person. Christ the Lord. The very reason for hope in every season. Every season. Even when we face, you know, a dark and dreary situation, we don't need polls. We don't need surveys. We don't need focus groups to tell us what is good. Good has fingernails, a nose, a heart, a beating heart, feet, hands, hair, hair. Good has hair because good is Jesus. Jesus is the ultimate capital G-O-O-D, good, who lives the good life spelled out plainly for us in God's good commandments, perfectly loving God, perfectly loving man as the perfect God-man. But how, how do folks receive such goodness, such pure, unadulterated, 200-proof divine goodness? How did folks receive Jesus who only did good? Uh, mocked him? 
misunderstood him and finally murdered him. Petey wants it crystal clear for us. He wants us to know that we are not exempt from such suffering as we follow this crucified, risen Jesus. Listen to Petey. 1 Peter 3.15 Have no fear of them, nor be, a, be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect. Everyone in this life faces similar hardships. We do. We all face similar hardships. The problem child, the problem co-worker, the problem boss, the problem employee, the problem neighbor, the problem teacher, fractured friendships and families, broken marriages and relationships, the loss of, you know, property and stuff due to water damage, fire damage, the general disappointments of life, a diagnosis, a disease, death and dying. Petey calls us to uh, be prepared for folks to ask questions. People are watching how we handle hardship, and Petey calls us to be ready for those folks to ask questions like, you know, why aren't you just freaking out? How, how, how are you handling this with, with optimism and hope and being able to put one foot in front of the other? How can you do that? What is the secret to uh, all your peace and calm? And we have an answer, don't we? And how do we spell that answer? You know, I'm the, I am the spelling pastor, right? So, J-E-S-U-S, Jesus. He's the answer. He is our hope. He is the reason for our hope in every single season. And we don't hog this hope. We, we ain't hope hoggers. We share this hope. We share this hope with as many folks as we can without an ounce of smugness or arrogance or pride. After all, we want every single person to make this hope his own, her own, and do so with such great joy because we know that this hope is the only hope that can't crack under the pressures of life. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Built on the rock, the church will stand, even when steeples are falling. Did you catch Cantor Beathy this morning with what he was doing with the organ, the sound of steeples falling? That was pretty awesome. <laughs> we share this hope with everyone. Not Pollyannishly. We know that some will just say nope to this hope, and that's okay, because we will be good in that day. Why? Why? good. We can do good if it gets awful, because a good conscience makes good possible. What 
encouragement we are given from Petey this morning, verses 16 and 17. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Having a good conscience. Having a good conscience. A good conscience. The blood of Jesus that's sprinkled on us as we sing songs together, as we wine and dine at the Lamb's High Feast, the Lord's Supper, as we read and mark and learn and inwardly digest the scriptures, gives us a good conscience. It's like a window that's clear that we can see everything so much better. You can't really ask for a better gift than a good conscience. It's like the best in the cosmos. A good conscience, conscience helps us see God for who he is and helps us see ourselves for who we truly are. We see Jesus as our big brother, and we see God as our tender, loving father. And this means that we, each of us, his beloved son, his beloved daughter. We are his beloved children. He's pleased with us. Just think about that for a moment. The creator of the cosmos actually dotes over you. He delights in you. You are the apple of his eye. You have his approval, his complete and utter acceptance what sense of worth we get from this relationship with God, our Heavenly Father. You know, you, you know what this means, don't you? We can kiss goodbye. Living and dying on the approval of man. And we waste so much time doing that. Trying to gain man's approval. We have the thumbs up from our Father. You know, even if the 7 billion plus people on the face of planet Earth were to give us their thumbs down. We don't dare despair because we have the Father's thumbs up. And that really is enough. It's more than enough. What could we possibly want? More than that. The Father's approval and acceptance and love. Even if we are sneered at, smeared, jeered, we still have the Father's thumbs up. And that, the Father's thumbs up, is what gives us patience to endure suffering. Gives us patience to endure suffering. We don't have to, like, go Quentin Tarantino on people's butts. We don't have to, you know, play the revenge card. No, we don't have to go the retaliation road, period. Repaying evil for evil, that just escalates hostility. No one wins. Everyone loses. Plus, no matter the opposition, no human being is the opponent. That's why we don't go on these seek and destroy missions with our arguments. 
trying to uh, go nuclear on people to make sure they know how wrong they are and how right we are. We, we, we don't do that. We're not, we're not in the business of crushing people at all. That's not what we do. We are slow to speak. We are quick to listen. And this might mean listening for like lots of hours <laughs> to earn that right to speak for just a few minutes. And it's worth it. We play the long game. We have the time on our side, dear friends. We do. I think of our neighbors in New York and how many uh, hours we had to listen until we got the right to speak. The right to speak to these neighbors, our neighbors who hated Jesus, who hated the church, who wanted nothing to do with religion. But I remember the night when that question was asked, why does the Bible hate women? I'm like, oh, okay. We have earned their respect. We have earned the right to talk. It's go time. And uh, yeah, lively conversation around that fire pit. Sometimes those conversations got as hot as the fire in the fire pit. And uh, every conversation, though, we wound up hugging and kissing. Ruth and I never saw the neighbors as the bad guys. No one is the bad guy. To see anyone as the bad guy is actually to uh, go against the very character of Jesus who put on the flesh of every single human being and walked that road of obedience to the cross where he died that God-forsaken death for all, for every single human being. He loved them to death. He loved you and me to death. Jesus suffered the greatest evil ever so that he could achieve, attain, accomplish the greatest good ever for every guy, every gal. That's what Ruth and I wanted for our neighbors in New York. And that's what you want for the people in your life. This greatest good, to experience it, to actually make it their own. The greatest good that we hear P.D. talk about in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 20. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Jesus suffered death on the tree so that he could forgive the world's iniquity and ferry us to the Father in victory. And now, now we have open access to a good conscience daily. Jesus suffered once for all sin. The first sin in the garden to that last sin on the last day. All sin. It's finished. Paid in full. So, which commandment have you broken that really just dirties everything, mucks everything up, gives you a skewed vision of, of who God is and who you are and what this world is? 
making you see God as like this ogre, this guy with a club ready to pound you into the ground. What sin keeps you up at night? What sin gives you night sweats? What sin makes you doubt God's love for you? Name that sin. Name the commandment that you've broken. Covered. Covered in the spilled blood of the Lamb. Picture the entire world just painted red with the blood of Jesus. Because it is. It is. The entire world covered in the blood of Jesus. Behold, my friends, you and I, the ferried and forgiven people of God. We've been ferried to God by Jesus, and we have been forgiven by him. See, we are the spoils of Christ's victory. His Good Friday, Easter morning victory. And Jesus doesn't hoard the spoils. He doesn't keep you and me to himself. He actually brings us to God as his gifts presented to the Father. And the Father accepts the Son's gifts. He accepts you and me. Not begrudgingly. Not with uh, some face that looks like he sucked some lemons. He receives you and me with elated joy, overflowing joy, never-ending joy, because now you are his, I am his, we are his, we belong to the Father. But there's a lot in this world that can make us doubt that. Like, you know, things don't go the way we thought. Things just fall apart. And we, uh, we think God is ticked off with us. We face calamity, animosity, hostility, and we ask that question, what did I do to deserve this? We get pummeled and punished by our own man-made commandments, and even the man-made commandments that the culture places on us, and you know those commandments, like, you shall not be just a mother, because that's not, that's not enough. You shall always take the promotion even if that means less time with the family. You shall not be single because obviously that means there's something wrong with you. You shall fill up your calendar with as much as possible because we all know that running around like a chicken with its head cut off is really, truly, actually living. All of those man-made commandments, dear friends, actually burden us. They overwhelm us. They overwork us. They drive us nuts out. They give us this misplaced guilt. This misplaced guilt that skews how we see God, how we see ourselves, and how we see this world. Everything looks bad and hopeless. Nothing good in the future. Well, I think it's time for us to say, toodles, goodbye, so long, sayonara, afida sain, to all this misplaced guilt and really all guilt, period. And we do so with a prayer. Because we are baptized into the crucified and risen JC, let us pray for a good conscience. Every day. Every day. So that we can have this life that is guilt-free and see God and see the world and see ourselves as they truly are. Petey, 
gives us quite the prayer to pray every day here in our epistle reading. 1 Peter 3, 21 and 22. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Now, the unexpected here in our text is that little word, now, N-O-W, now, baptism now saves you. So what occurred for us at the font for some of us decades ago? Right, Rosie? Just yesterday you were, you were baptized, right? <laughs> decades ago, right? We won't, we won't ask how long, okay? It's okay. Or for some of us here actually just this year. That is the basis, the foundation to dare to pray for a good conscience without delay. Father, give me a good conscience. And we let that prayer fly with great joy and without any disappointment whatsoever because we know that he hears that prayer and he loves to answer that prayer. He forks over the good conscience. And a good conscience is, uh, well, good. Thank you, Pastor Obvious. <laughs> a good conscience is so, so, so good. A good conscience, dear friends, rejoices in the salvation that Jesus won by his bleeding, dying, third day rising for all of us, for every sinner. A good conscience sees God not as some ogre, <laughs> but as a tender, loving father. A good conscience fills our entire being with fearless confidence to go to bat in prayer for ourselves, for this congregation, for this community, for this nation, for this world, for every neighbor. A good conscience uh, motivates us to actually do better. Because we have the blessing and the backing of Big Brother. <laughs> A good conscience doesn't get tripped up by all these man-made commandments that bombard us saying, well, these are just self-chosen works by a sinner. So, I can't be certain if they please God ever. A good conscience hears God's good commandments, believes God's good commandments, and does God's good commandments, saying, these are God-given works for every son, every daughter, so I can be certain that they please God forever. A good conscience assures us to expect good things from God, from the Father, especially when one bad thing happens after another. A good conscience gives us, fills us with this uh, this admiration and this appreciation of the other. A good conscience puts us with God in the home, right where we find ourselves so content to share and care and burden bear. A good conscience enjoys this vision of beauty and goodness in God's world and wants to add 
to that goodness and beauty everywhere. A good conscience can take a deep breath and let down the hair and, you know, not take oneself so seriously, laughing at oneself every day, knowing that everything is going to be okay right around the last day corner. Dear friends, can you see how such a blessing a good conscience is? And so pray. Pray every day. May this congregation be a congregation that prays this prayer every day. Father, give me a good conscience. Amen.